You're listening to the Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. This is a podcast for amazing women and NBs originally from New York City. That was previously the focus of the podcast when I first launched it on Radio Free Brooklyn in 2016. But since then, we've had a reboot, I should say. And now, really, it's Badass Lady Folk from everywhere mainly in New York City. Yes, I am biased. But today's wonderful guest is from Philadelphia. Welcome to Valentine Sanchez Stoddard. Hey, Vivi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for being here. So Valentine, they, them pronouns, is my little sibling, but is also an amazing artist, a visual artist, a graphic designer, a photographer, an activist, a visual arts educator, and I'm probably forgetting a few things, but definitely works at the intersection of visual arts and political identity and community activism. Would you say that's right? Or would you rather define yourself some other ways? No, I would say like you pretty much hit everything nail nail on the head, as they say. Yeah. So these days, Valentine is the arts coordinator for a nonprofit in Philly that serves people who were formerly homeless. Uh, but like I said, they continue making visual art and photography and are interested in curating and publishing work eventually as well, has started to do a little bit of that. So Valentine, could you talk about your art studio, Little Sanchez Studio? Tell me, what was the inspiration for founding that? Um, okay, so I guess, again, I've been doing visual arts since I can remember. Um, I had always been really interested in having my own business of sorts, but again, keeping things kind of affordable for people. Um, Little Sanchez Studio came about, I think, in 2019. Um, that's what your website says (laughs) yeah the name the name came pretty fast I just kind of wanted to do like I did little because I'm like the youngest of siblings so I wanted to that's why I kind of did it as like little Sanchez again is like a family name so I wanted to definitely include that um yeah I don't know I guess it was just like for many years a lot of people wanted to buy my artwork and I thought of ways of how to do that so it just kind of made sense to just, I don't know, vend at like local markets. And it's been honestly really, really fun because I've been able to meet a lot of local artists. Um, I actually vended fairly recently at uh, the Trans Art Mart in uh, at House of Yes in Bushwick. Yeah, in Brooklyn. I think it was November or December. Um so yeah, it's been really cool. That's my that's been my only out of state vending experience so far, but I'm really hoping to do that kind of work again. Um, but yeah, honestly, just kind of make art and sell it, and also work in new mediums that I hadn't done before. It's it's I don't know. I, a lot of the time, I kind of just think of like, hey, how do I do this? This looks really cool. I'm gonna watch some like YouTube tutorials and like look at artists work that I already like and then just kind of I don't know do it in my own way 
Yeah, figure it out. Okay, yeah. so for our dear listeners who may not be familiar with your art yet, maybe they haven't immediately Googled you during this interview, paint us a picture. Describe your art. What does your what does it look like? What does a typical Valentine uh, painting look like? Photo look like? The jewelry you make? What sort of colors, materials, influences? Okay. Um. Yeah, I definitely work a lot in mixed media. I feel like when I was younger, um, I really appreciate like black ink and and um, I guess like illustration. But I feel like I really put myself in a box when I was younger to maybe appear a certain type of like way in the art world. Um, I feel mean? like. What do you mean? Just like. In the sense of like, okay, I'm just going to draw in black ink. And that's what I kind of did for like a long time. And I don't know. I think honestly, I think living for a bit in the Southwest, um, I lived in Phoenix. And then also I kind of like bounced between living in different parts of Mexico and in Phoenix for about like three years. And I feel like those places really opened up my artwork to appreciating and inviting in color in my work because for years previously I had really stuck to just black and not as much colorfulness I guess you could say um so yeah I a lot of my work now is actually very colorful and bright um I don't really shy away from that a lot of my work is I would say like pretty like flamboyant or like um Honestly, like, I think a lot of it has to come just, like, me getting more comfortable with my own self and my own identity and just not thinking I have to appear a certain type of way. I've really had all different kinds of people also buy my artwork. Um, Pretty recently, I actually ended up finding out that this um, customer actually lives in Portland. I thought he was a local person, but he ended up buying one of my hand painted button downs. Um, And again, it was just, it's just really neat to see different types of people buy my artwork. It's, it really isn't just for one type of audience. Like, yes, I would say a lot of my clientele do seem to be queer folks, but it's definitely not just limited to that. Um, Your work is very image based. Like you definitely use figures, but I wouldn't say that they're hyper-realistic. Like, you have abstracted figures more often than not. Not co- not pure abstraction. I just mean that you put your own spin on these figures. You're not drawing directly from life, necessarily. That your imagination takes over and transforms the figure. Yeah, I would say that's a good way of putting it. I think when it comes to my paintings, for example... A lot of those I'll use, I use actually photography a lot in my work in the sense of I'll take photographs and then paint or draw from like taking inspiration from those. Um, So for example, there's a painting that I did some years ago, which still is like a very popular painting of mine. A lot of people have bought prints of it, but it's called El Cipetotec or El El Grito Privado de Cipetotec. And I actually 
created that mixed media painting after coming back from El Salvador in 2018. It was my first time visiting, I guess you could say the motherland. Um, yeah, our mother's from El Salvador and yeah, we went to this really, really cool anthropology museum over there. And I think that was really compelling to finally see artifacts from, I guess, like Mesoamerican artifacts from, I guess you could say more ancient times, because a lot of the time here in the U.S., I, I've barely seen anything from El Salvador. And part of it, I think, is it must be politically related of why we don't really have that sort of exposure here in the U.S., um, yeah, but it was so really... sorry to interrupt just listeners yeah. to catch you up. And this has come up on the podcast here and there over various episodes. But for those who are tuning in for the first time, or maybe need a little refresher, the US was directly involved in a very bloody civil war that took place in El Salvador in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. Some people argue it's still going on definitely the aftermath of the war, which officially ended 92, I believe, uh, is felt and it, it has really destroyed the country. Anyway, continue. You were, yeah, you were, so my, my last, uh, guest, Fernanda Garcia is Mexican American. Well, she was born in Mexico city, but she was raised in Houston. Her parents are Mexican. And, uh, we talked, quite a bit about some of the overlaps as well as differences between uh, Mexican and Salvadoran cultures. Um, and I, I think listeners, if you're not already aware, Latin America is a diverse place and there are many different cultures. It's not just one culture. There are ties between the places, right? But it's not just one culture. Okay, so you went to the Anthropology Museum. I was with you. Yeah, no, and it was amazing. It wasn't super big, but I feel like they had a lot of stuff in there. Um, again, I feel like it was just really influential and honestly, I would say like mesmerizing to see that sort of stuff in real life. Or again, I think something that is interesting is like, you know, the very popular Mex so-called, I guess, Mexican, I guess you could say it's, more so made famous by uh, Mexico is Dia de los Muertos, so like Day of the Dead. But literally that holiday is celebrated throughout all of Latin America. There is also the, I forget what it's called. It's like the All Saints Day. It's it's very directly related uh, to... Dia de todos los santos. Yeah. I think there's a different name for it, but yeah. But it's that kind of holiday is celebrated all throughout Latin America. Oh, it's it's Dia de los Difuntos or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I forgot the name. Anyway, but... Another uh, word for dead. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It's just really interesting to see how different places celebrate that or memorialize it in different ways. Um, but yeah, I remember that piece that I did was specifically, like, I had photographed some things in the museum. There was, like, a... Like a, uh, I guess like a, a mask of Sipetotec, and that is, I believe, a Mayan. I should be remembering this on the podcast, right? 
Um, <laughs> hey, look, I confuse Mayan and Aztec symbols yeah. regularly. I will say that this painting, viewers, there you should definitely go to the Little Sanchez Studio website to check it out. But we also used it in a recent Quell Bell video. We used a print of it in a video called Human Sisters, and it's based on a poem of mine that appears in my book Belladonna Magic. And Fernanda Garcia, who is the uh, the guest from the last episode I just mentioned, is in that video with me, and we use this print of the painting that Valentina is describing in this altar making process. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. It's, um, it's very, again, a lot of my art does have, have plants in it because I love plants. <laughs> um, and again, a lot of my art, it's like, I'll be photographing specific things and then kind of meshing it all together. I guess you could almost say in a collage like form, um, it'll be photos that I've taken, maybe photos from the internet of certain things that I want to be represented. Um, yeah, so that that's like a great example. I even use some newspaper clippings from La Prensa, which is the San Salvador. Um, they're like daily newspaper. So I, I brought that with me back to the U.S. because I, I, I knew I wanted to probably use some kind of collaging techniques in it. But that piece... A lot of people are like, oh, it's just so beautiful, but it's also like pretty heavy content because um, the newspaper clippings were kind of talking about how a lot of dreams that people have, a lot of things that people want to do, it's it feels like near impossible because of, again, as you had mentioned before, there's definitely, I feel like... Um, a weariness that I have like felt a lot. And I, and I actually used to also work with unaccompanied minors from, from Central America specifically. So it kind of seems to be a feeling or like a theme of that area of Latin America. I think because there has been so much warfare um, and again, um, a U.S. involvement really quickly for listeners who might not know or remember could you explain what an unaccompanied minor is in terms of uh recent relatively recent immigration yeah um unaccompanied minors are youth that uh are i mean could be anywhere like a child before the age of 18 and they may or may have not crossed the border by themselves or with a group of people, but basically uh, they have been separated and have been detained by ICE, but because they are not 18, they are put in shelters um, in different parts of the U.S. There's, there are a lot of shelters, um, <laughs> and I was working at one out in Arizona. Um, some of the the students I had also worked with at the shelter had already been in the U S had been undetected for some years and then were found, um, which is pretty wild. Um, and then by the time they turn 18, if they are not reunified with family members in the U S then they are put in an ice facility. So it's, it's very, very heavy, but um, yeah, I think, 
very much when I'm thinking about like Central America specifically, there is a lot of economic disparity and yeah, I don't know. I work. I also worked with a lot of uh, unaccompanied minors from Guatemala, and a lot of them were from uh, Mayan communities. A lot of them spoke different indigenous languages, um, and it was also very like I worked with a student that was very much like, "You're a woman. This is you don't go to school. We're going to take you out of school. You're not supposed to." Why, why would you want to go to school or like get a higher education? Like that's not your role in society. So I really did work with like, uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot yeah. of very diverse group of, of youth from that area. But, um, I would say I've definitely noticed a heaviness and a wariness in terms of content for many of your paintings, but I've also seen a lot of playfulness for sure. And joy. And I love that you do both, that it's not an either or. Earlier, yeah. yeah. before this interview, I was looking at some of your watercolors of dancing cacti. Could you talk about that collection of work? Yeah, I think that might have, I might have, I don't remember if I might have done that in Arizona or in Mexico, but yeah, again, a lot of my art, I think, has been influenced by, I mean, I, you could say, like, a lot of folk art, um, lots of things that I've seen, a lot of, a lot of the art that I saw in Mexico was incredibly inspiring and still is very inspiring to this day, of... I think there's like a lot of humor in the art. I feel like there's there's so much like religious art and there's a lot of like humorous art. There's a lot of inappropriate art. I feel like that you just kind of see out in the open. There's like there's a lot of tongue in cheek um art that I feel like I would see everywhere in Mexico. Um there's like the something called nicho boxes is a great example they're almost like little mini dioramas they're usually like a mix of like miniatures and then like little paper mache and like maybe polymer clay um a lot of the time there'll be like little skeletons performing different duties like in daily life like i had a really funny one that was like i guess like a bathhouse or like a bathroom but it's like two naked ladies like two naked skeletons with like huge tits and it's like there's like a lot of erotic undertones and I feel like a lot of, I would say like in Mexican art that I've noticed, um, I feel like artists down there are like not afraid to, to question that kind of stuff. And so I, I don't know, I really like including those tones in my own artwork because I don't know, it's like, again, as I've gotten more comfortable in my own sexuality and my own uh like queer and gender trans identity it's just like i'm not really afraid to talk about that kind of stuff or include it with my so-called serious artworks um yeah things like dancing uh cacti and i've been actually last summer i was working at a queer uh camp for youth uh, in upstate New York, and I'm hoping to actually return there this summer as an art director. Woo. But 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But their last year, a lot of the... So these are all teens, basically. But they literally were so into... Um, a lot of them were into, like, drag and theater and sewing and just, like, fashion and, and just, like, gender expression. And several of them really inspired me to just start sewing again. And that was something that I had not done since I was, like, 12 years old. Yeah. Could you talk about your plushies? Yeah, that's been super fun. Um, that's been the, the main things I've been focusing on lately. I'm I'm hoping to return to some painting again, but I've definitely more so been painting on, like, clothes and fabric and plushies. Um, I own a lot of plushies of my own. Again, I love how fun they are. I love that it's not just for kids. Um, I know I'm 31 and I know a lot of people like my age that are like not afraid to have that stuff in their house. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely am very, uh, influenced by Sol Lasso, who is a Salvadoran, queer artist uh i think that they live in berlin now but i had the pleasure of actually being tattooed by them when they were visiting baltimore some years ago and i think that they do a great job of kind of like having really bright artworks being unapologetically queer and trans um i don't know i feel like a lot of my artwork also like their artwork is talking a lot about like emotions and like dealing with your emotions. So like a lot of my plushies will have different facial expressions, which honestly will remind you a lot of just like old school theatrical masks. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you could say a lot of those plushies are, are very much like pop art and same with a lot of my jewelry that I've done. I've expanded a lot. Like I don't just do stuff with polymer clay anymore. I do a lot of mix of, I don't know, like really pretty stones mixed with, um, I actually use model magic to do a lot of my jewelry making sculpture. Like I'll, I'll make a lot of pendants by hand with model magic and then I'll paint over them. And then sometimes like add glitter. A lot of my artwork has glitter and very bright colors. Um, I actually have a number of works for sale at Philly magic gardens, which is pretty cool. That's like very heavy on mosaics and, uh, what's his name? Isaiah Zagar, um, him and his wife like started this art museum. I'm not actually really sure when it opened. I'm thinking like maybe the nineties, but there's like a lot of mosaics and a lot of their artworks. They they work a lot with uh, international artists, specifically I would say from Latin America. Um, but yeah, I have a number of like jewelry pieces for sale at that at that museum shop, which is pretty fun and cool to be included in that. Um, again, a lot of I like a lot of mixed media. I, I like a lot of recycled items in my jewelry, so like. Things like broken glass I'll like use in kind of mosaic form. Um, I also like using a lot of like miniatures and toys in my jewelry. And yeah, just kind of like repainting them or kind of making them feel like more of my own. They really have to make, I really have to make sure that they feel like I did something to alter something. Like I can't just have like, 
oh, I found this toy on the street. I'm going to make this into an earring. And that's it. Um, I really have to feel like I had my hand in painting it or, or changing it, manipulating it in some way. I would love to shift the focus to your photography. I remember okay. you studied photography at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we both went, where many guests on the podcast actually went or at least spent some time in Richmond, Virginia. And I remember you doing a lot of darkroom work, black and white work. How would you describe your photography today? Ooh, it has shifted a lot. Um, it's honestly been very difficult. I, I I have ADHD. I've been like diagnosed with it and it totally makes sense. I feel like I have a really hard time being able to work on different art forms at the same time. So for example, right now in my own practice, I've been doing like a lot of sewing and painting on fabric and that's kind of like my limit, but I kind of sense, I can kind of feel that I want to like take a break and maybe do some printmaking or something again, um, or more illustration. I'm actually about to start working on my second comic book. It's very on the down low. Um, so I've been kind of inspired by one of my friends who just finished a comic of hers. So I don't know, for me, co-working on that kind of stuff is very, very helpful. But Wait, kind listeners, of, dear listeners, the first comic book is? It's called Moonbeans. And where I, can you get it? Well, it's not quite available right now because uh, I went through a name change since I first published it. It's been a whole thing. I'm trying to get it republished literally with just my different name on it, okay. with, my, with my new chosen name. So otherwise, uh, once that's done, I will publicize that, but... That, I, that was a comic that I started at VCU at Virginia Commonwealth University. And I would actually do like weekly, I would do weekly publishing of like five panels at a time. And that was really, really fun. So anyway, kind of actually, I feel like my comics kind of go in line with my photography because I was able to kind of multitask and do those two things very well at the same time. So maybe... Fingers crossed, maybe we'll get back to photography, but honestly, I do take a lot of photos like on my phone, and again, I use photography a lot as a way to use as reference photos for like paintings and drawings or tattoo designs. I've been I, I've been doing a lot. Um but yeah, I I'm actually looking forward to it because with my job as an art program coordinator, I like my main role is to teach and facilitate art classes to adult residences or residents at the different residences across Philadelphia. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, it's a lot. But um, I have an actual art room at the building where my office is, and I already plan an alternative processes photography class that's going to be happening in June. So I've actually been talking to someone at my building who put all these, um, I think they were like Christmas toy donations in a closet. And I'm like, Hey, can we move these out of here? Because literally it's the perfect small space to use as kind of like a dark room facility 
maybe not for everything, not for printing specifically, but like at least for like development. So um, I'm really hoping that 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 art class I'm teaching will help kind of get me back into my own practice. Um, yeah, but uh, and in that class, for example, I took a really similar class when I was in college over a summer. And we did things like pinhole cameras, we did saw prints, we did Van Dykes, we did cyanotypes. So maybe not trying to do all of those with the class, but I'm hoping to at least do cyanotypes and pinhole cameras. Um, yeah, I think that's like a really fun way to get back into photography. Because I, I miss the darkroom so much. It is one of those things where I, I really sought refuge and I spent a lot of time in undergrad uh, doing darkroom photography. Most of my photography in undergrad was film photography. I ended up doing a lot of medium format and I, I kind of steered away a little bit from the darkroom in my later years in undergrad, but I would still shoot a lot in film and then scan on these really nice Nikon scanners we had. And then I would edit uh, the photos in Photoshop and then digitally print them. So like archival prints. So yeah, Ooh. I'm really hoping to like do that kind of stuff more again and maybe do zines. We'll see, but it's, it's been hard. It's been, it's been just hard for me to balance that out. Yeah. But you're definitely flourishing and you make yeah. beautiful attention grabbing kind of work. I wanted to end on, the topic of art and activism and how it is that you try to bring these two practices together and why it matters to you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I feel like all my jobs that I've had, even if they're not specifically like I'm an art teacher, I always have used art to connect with people. So as it can even be with like things like language barriers, again, with, my with the students I worked with because I was technically like a classroom teacher like I taught the four core subjects um in Spanish and then we had an English we had like an ESL type thing but I I taught in Spanish most of the time when I was when I was teaching at that shelter but I would always use my art to help teach or then also do art activities or just like use as like therapeutic kinds of activities um just yeah again sometimes just to try and bring like humor even into that classroom because it could be really hard sometimes like students would be coming back from like court hearings and be like very distraught obviously because also some of them it's like spanish wasn't even their first language it was maybe like quiche or mom which is one of the mayan indigenous languages from guatemala so it was, I would use art in that way. I also worked at like a rehab uh, therapeutic center uh, for teenagers also in Phoenix. And there I would use my art a lot to connect with those uh, clients. And here in my time in Philly, I've worked, I mean, honestly, I work a lot in general with like immigrant population I guess you could say, like, uh, disserviced folks. Like, last year I worked at a school in North Philly 
at an after school program and I did a bunch of art with the students at that school. They had like the schools here in Philly and it's not even just here in Philly, but they barely have art in school. It's ridiculous. It literally makes you want to throw up. <laughs> it's, it's so disheartening and so like fucked up. Um, so whenever I could do art, I would. And also Arts accessibility is really important for me in terms of, like, sometimes I'm just thinking of, like, disadvantaged, like, people, like, so, for instance, when I was working at, I'll, I'll, I'll say this name out loud because I have worked a lot with this school, but Art, uh, Fleischer Art Memorial is, like, a public community-based art school for kids, like, up through adults, um, and they work with all different kinds of populations, a lot of undocumented uh, Spanish-speaking immigrants come to that space. A lot of also immigrants from Southeast Asia come to that space. Um, there are like bilingual classes um, that are taught there. there. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. But when I was working there at one point, I actually worked on like a collaborative project with um, adult women that some of them were formerly from a nonprofit here in Philly that works with uh, abuse, like survivors. So I would work with them on this uh, big, large-scale recycled art project that was kind of like using recycled art and then also their knowledge of like crocheting and like knitting and all that kind of stuff that, again, I think can be so overlooked. And this is with all Latina women, um, all of them were first generation, mostly from Mexico, some from Guatemala, some from Puerto Rico. And a lot of them did not consider themselves artists. A lot, a lot of my students in general, especially adults that I work with, don't consider themselves artists. They're just like, oh yeah, I'm just like making art to have fun. And I feel like it's just really important to like advocate for like material usage and like again I've been making partnerships with different like local schools and places here that like my residents can do art classes at because honestly it's like a lot of people it's like if you weren't born like white like middle class like a lot of people that I've worked with because most people I work with are POC and black um they I don't know. I think it's it must be something that's like taught from a young age, but it's just like they don't think that they have the right to be using like fancy materials or like going to something like art schools like frowned down upon. A lot of the time in like first generation like immigrant households, it can be really frowned down upon to be even into the arts because it's very much like you should be like a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, you have to do better than me, basically. But I really am dealing with all different types of folks. Like And, like, yeah, I, I've also very much worked with, like, POC and Black uh, residents and clients and stuff that have, like, a renowned background in the arts and, like, have studied arts, maybe used to be art teachers, and then maybe something happened in their personal lives, and then they became homeless or uh, had issues with addiction 
and maybe homelessness. So I really am working with all different types of people. And yeah, a lot of my work is just like, I don't know. It's like life happens. (laughs) Life really happens. And like, like I'm actually like sober and I've actually talked to a lot of residents that I work with that I'm sober and they're always so shocked that I am. And it's just like, just because I look a certain way or like just because a certain person looks a certain way doesn't mean that they haven't like gone through something or they don't want to be able to, to, I don't know, learn how to do something. Yeah. I love that you bring up so many topics and nuances about art and advocacy in terms of humor, in terms of feeling that you or someone deserves to take up space and art is also or can be a coping mechanism and it's a form of creative expression that's necessary that it's not just fancy frivolous fun it can be fun it should be fun a lot of the time or some of the time uh but you you bring up so many topics that could easily take up multiple other episodes. But I wanted to thank you once again. My guest has been Valentin Sanchez Stoddard, based in Philadelphia, owner of Little Sanchez Studio. You've been listening to the Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. Please tune in next time. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, quailbellmagazine.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, starting March 24th. Who knows? You could be listening to this right now on March 24th. And we're on so many other places online that, as usual, I'm probably forgetting I should type up a list. (laughs) Maybe one day. Anyway, thanks. I hope you have a beautiful week. And I cannot wait to introduce you to our next guest. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Bye.